Hey guys, good evening. That sounds a little bit different than good morning. So it's nice to see everyone's uh, familiar faces, some people I haven't seen in a while, and uh, it's great to be here for Good Friday service. So this is going to be a little bit different style than a typical Sunday morning. Um, Jeff will explain some other things later on, but this will just be a quiet time. Uh, the message will be a little bit different configured. The worship will be kind of in and out. So just uh, just be prepared this evening to just really reflect on the cross and what Christ uh, was approaching during this time. And uh, the worship and the words will help uh, complete that in your mind's eye, just what is happening. Um, this is much like a funeral service, as Jeff will um, explain. So just be respectful as uh, people have this time, um, too, to be quiet and just reflect on it. And then as we go out, so if you could just, you can just stay seated. Just pray with me now as we just enter into this time. So, Lord, we just come before you humbly, Lord, just um, broken people, Lord, um, just in our sin. And that reflection, Lord, um, without what is um, the completion of the cross, Lord, we are still broken, Lord. So, Lord, this time... Um, and thinking back to those hours that leading up to the cross and the joy that was set before you in our brokenness, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by it. So, Lord, we want to worship you this evening. We want to hear your word, Lord. I pray for Jeff uh, in bringing a message today. I pray for the worship team to help lead us in worshiping you holy, Lord. And God, let us uh, just prepare our hearts um, for what is to come for Easter and that remembrance of the resurrection. So God, we, we praise you this evening and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Slaughtered lamb, what atonement you bring. The vilest sinner's heart can be cleansed, can be free. Oh, what an amazing mystery. What an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Jesus. A eulogy is a speech or it's a piece of writing that praises someone or something highly, typically someone who has just died. And so we are first going to eulogize our Lord, Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem. But, but his story doesn't begin there. It starts long before in eternity past. In fact, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, 
And without him was not anything made that was made. His life began in eternity past, and he authored all of creation. And his friend and disciple John said in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. After Jesus was born, his mother Mary and stepfather Joseph had to flee to Egypt instead of returning home to Nazareth and Galilee because Herod wanted him dead. So he was, he was killing all the baby boys and they had to flee. After Herod died, they were able to return to Nazareth and Jesus grew up. He, he learned carpentry with his stepfather. And, and Jesus was a fine carpenter, but his passion was always theology. He loved God and studied hard and his wisdom and insight never ceased to amaze anyone he came across. There's a funny story that a year before his bar mitzvah, mom and dad took him to Jerusalem for Passover, as they did every year with all the extended family and friends. And it was a fun trip uh, always. And this year, it, he just couldn't stay away from the temple for long. So when it was time to leave, they all assembled in this huge caravan, and the people with all the women the, and the kids up front and then the dads and the older sons in the back. And they, they kind of walk an entire day before anyone realizes that Jesus isn't with them. And so, so they walk an, an entire day and do this. Poor Mary was so panicked. And they go back to Jerusalem. And what's worse, it takes them three days to find them. And of course when they find him, he's in the temple having discussions with the teachers who couldn't get enough of this kid. Mary never forgot that. I'm not sure how many people she told that story to. But of course, that was about the time when Jesus was really coming to grips with who he was. He could have done well as a carpenter his whole life, but he became a, a rabbi, and we all know that that was his calling. crazy thing about Jesus is that he never did anything wrong. Like, like, even when it seemed like there was, you know these situations, like there's a whole list of wrong answers to something. He still somehow always found a way to get it right. And like any other human, he was, he was tempted. <laughs> and, but he never sinned. We don't even know what his temptations were, but we know he was tempted as any of us were. And that he could totally empathize with any temptation that any of us might have. He just, he just, never fell into it. He never sinned. Here's how amazing Jesus was. He, he fasted for 40 days. 40 days. And then, even though he, he's just really hungry at this point, like, because when you don't eat for 40 days, you get hungry. Satan shows up. He tempts him with things that none of us could re resist, even when we're not hungry. Still, every right decision, never sinned once. And when Jesus began his public ministry, he was about 30, and, and he spoke like no one else, if you ever heard him. Jesus preaches as one having the kind of authority no other reasonably humble person would dare claim. And yet his ministry was also defined by humility. In fact, not long before he died, he washed all of the disciples' feet like, like the lowest slave in the house. 
He was just, he was just a really amazing rabbi. He didn't start small either. He, he comes right out of the box healing Peter's mother-in-law, who's really sick. She's not doing well at all with the severe fever. And then he cleanses a leper, and he doesn't just heal the guy of leprosy. He actually touches the leper. Touches him. Can you imagine? Wow, it shocks everyone. His friend and his disciple Peter, I think everyone's heard this story of when Jesus enlisted Peter, James, and John to be disciples. And they, everybody has, has to have heard this a hundred times just from Peter alone, I'm sure. They, they'd all been fishing all night and caught nothing, which was rare because Peter knew how to fish. And here these guys are, exhausted. They're cleaning their nets, putting all, everything back together, putting everything away. And Jesus shows up and this carpenter tells the fishermen to go try again. But then, he's Jesus. So they went and did it. And their nets are like busting because of all the fish they caught. They have to call the other boat over. And there were so many fish, it almost sank both boats. And it's... So Peter, James, and John all start following Jesus around everywhere, right? And as a, as a rabbi and a teacher, his teaching was, was both earth-shattering and consistent. And the, the Pharisees, they didn't like him all that much. At first, they were actually kind of amused with him. But then when he claims to be the great I Am that met Moses in the burning bush, they weren't so amused anymore. They thought he was a blasphemer and a heretic. And Jesus couldn't escape it. Herod tried to kill him when he was a baby. Now the Pharisees want to throw rocks at his head. And oh, when he was in Nazareth, he, he was out teaching in the synagogues and they tried to throw him off a cliff for blasphemy. He was like Rodney Dangerfield. You don't get no respect, right? Except Rodney Dangerfield was a sinner and I don't think people were tr chasing him around trying to kill him. It, it, it wasn't long before people figured out that he had some supernatural power at his disposal. And not that it made any sense, but the, some of the Pharisees tried to say he was demon-possessed. Like, how many demons are running around teaching the scriptures and then giving sight to blind people and sending paralyzed people walking away and restoring damaged limbs and then telling people to deny themselves and follow God? But he did all kinds of things that backed up what he was teaching. Perhaps the most memorable is the Sermon on the Mount. You may recall this. Uh, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are, the, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Then he goes on to say that he's a fulfillment of the laws given by Moses. He teaches not to be angry at people or to be hateful, but to forgive and to be generous. Even to those who try to take from you and to love your enemies. And, and he didn't just say it, he lived it. He said to be generous, not to be anxious. Jesus spoke a lot about faith. Matthew 7, in verses 7 through 11, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or to which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He spoke a lot about the Father's love and, and how we can trust him. He also said this, which it now makes a lot of sense. Look at this in John six thirty seven to 40. It says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of that all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, his claim is to be equal with the Father, which would make him God incarnate. It's hard to imagine how that works, but it does. And we can all see that now. He said that he and the Father are one. His friend Lazarus died not long before Jesus died. And, and, and a lot of his other friends were upset with him because he kind of took a, his time getting there when Lazarus was ill. And they figured that he would, he would have healed Lazarus if he'd gotten there while he was still sick. But by the time Jesus got there, it was too late. And as soon as he got there, it just, it just broke him. He grieved that his friend Lazarus was dead. I don't know if ever, anyone had ever seen him cry like that before. He was just broken. But then he calls to Lazarus. He calls him out of the tomb, and Lazarus just gets up and walks out. Wow. I don't know about the rest of us, but I believe his claims. If he says he's the son of God, he's the son of God. If, if he says he's God, he's God. And then he comes to Jerusalem for Passover. I don't know why he had to do this, but if he's the son of God, he can do whatever he wants. But he comes in and all his disciples usher him into town like a king and all, all the people, they have this big parade for him. We know what, who knew? Who knew that this was gonna be it? It's the week of Passover and he's teaching. And we all know, we all know the money changers in the temple are just extorting people, right? I, nobody's, nobody believes anything different. There's nothing honest about what they do. But Jesus goes in, he makes a big scene. He, he's overturning tables. He's chasing them out with a whip. He, and then 
he's just kind of continually teaching until it's time for the Passover dinner. And he, so he, he invites his disciples into a private room while the rest of the people out in Jerusalem are searing with pain, or with anger rather. It's just so special because it's, it's right before he dies. And one of the disciples wrote this. I want to read it to you. This is in, in Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. It says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, uh, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, it, it just didn't make sense at the moment, what was going on. It, it, it makes sense now. He, he talked a lot about how he was going away, and he couldn't take anyone with him in the moment, but he was coming back. And a lot of people thought he was talking about the actual temple when he said that he could destroy this temple in three days and raise it up. And it makes sense because our Jesus has been placed in a tomb. His body has been crushed. And yet in three days, is he still going to be in the tomb? And listen, let's not be too angry at Judas Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's inexcusable. There's... And then Jesus was arrested. He's arrested that night. And then he dragged him back and forth between hearings. We, we know the story. He was beaten severely before they, before they crucified him on a Roman cross. And we all have to do that, deal with that. We all have to deal with that. Jesus died. Listen, Jesus died. This, he died. He died for us. So what he did was heroic. As we remember Jesus, let us remember that to crucify this guy who never sinned, who never did anything wrong, is not as unjust as it looks. In fact, it is the ultimate act of justice as our sins are absorbed by him to furnish for us the forgiveness from God for our rebellion. But this eulogy of Jesus of Nazareth is important. It's too important not to end. This eulogy needs to continue, and it, and it can. We can remember Jesus by obediently partaking of communion regularly. I want to read something that Paul wrote. It's very similar to what Matthew wrote. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And we'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then he continues, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the day we call Good Friday, is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus didn't die in vain. He died for you and I, giving those of us who belong to him eternal value. Allow me to pray as the worship team comes up. Father, thank you for the life of Jesus. And thank you for the life that he gave. God, I pray that as we remember him, as we look upon the cross, that our hearts would be changed, that we would be transformed. And that we would continually think upon Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on
by grace draw near and bless your something to share about maybe something that Jesus has done in their life. Um, it, it needs to be brief because we want everybody to get a chance, but you might share briefly something that God has done in your life. Um, maybe you could, you know, you'd want to share a passage of scripture, maybe a verse or two. Uh, maybe offer up a quick prayer of thank, thankfulness or, or a quick praise. I'll go ahead and start, and then if you have something to share, please just come up. I'll hand you the microphone, and you can share what Christ has done. Coming out of my parents' divorce when I was about 11, I became increasingly angry and bitter in my teenage years. And I got to the point that I just, I hated everyone. I hated everyone. I, I even hated my own friends. And, and any appropriate Emotion quickly became anger. I didn't know how to feel anything but anger. And I just became this severe teenage rageaholic. And one night after I had almost done something out of rage that I would have regretted the rest of my life and would have hurt many people, I called and talked to a guy that was leading a Bible study that I'd been attending, and he prayed for me. And Jesus met me that night. He met me right there more than 25 years ago. And he healed me. 
And from there, I've never had a moment, not once, of uncontrollable anger. Thank you, Jesus. Would anyone else like to share something? There you go. Okay. Okay. Don't be shy. Most of you don't know that I was trafficked as I was just barely entering my teens. And all of the, the sin that followed, all of the horrors, all of the times that I thought things that I shouldn't think, killing people in my mind, Jesus set me free and made me who I am today, the person that you know. This is all Jesus. This is all what he did on the cross. He took everything I've ever done wrong and nailed it to the cross so that I could know him, so that I could have a relationship with him so that I could know what love really is, so I can live. Thank you so much for loving me. That's hard to follow, anyone else? Praise. Lord, I just want to uh, thank you so much for for finding me. for coming and finding me, Lord, at a time when didn't have family anymore and felt alone. Alone and ashamed and just living so far from you, knowing that, knowing who you were and knowing that you loved me and cared for me, but running from you, but you came and you found me, and I was ashamed. I was ashamed of myself and did not feel comfortable with you, but you loved me. And I thank you for that. And Lord, you've given me a huge family, not just my immediate family, which is such a blessing, but a family of believers that we could share in the same common thing where we know that we're sinners. We know that we weren't worthy. But we do know this, that you were worthy and that you found us and you saved us. And you have given us a purpose, a future and a hope. And we get to, in the midst of the dark world that we're in, we get to enjoy the light. And that's here. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for taking me on this adventure. Lord, sometimes I feel... 
what would I do uh, if I were to walk away from you? And Lord, I just, there's nowhere else I can go. So I pray, Lord, that you would keep me, keep me in the palm of your hand, keep me from ever wandering away. And thank you. a few more moments if anyone would like to to share something I have an older sister who lives in Australia and has lived there for the last 50 years and in 2019 she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and I've been given power of attorney to manage her estate and everything that goes on with her health and her life at this point. Uh, she's in assisted living and um, she was raised in a Christian home and has chosen not to believe in God. But he has done so many miracles over these last years. Um, guiding Tom and me through all the processes, bringing people into her life and um, helping me to, to manage long distance. And I just, I think it's such a testimony to God and, and how far reaching his love is. Even when people don't acknowledge him, he still loves them. Anyone else? It's hard to want to come up here and talk in front of people. <laughs> Um, this morning, um, just through my Bible reading, um, I was going through some of the Psalms, and the Psalms that I read this morning were 106 and 107, and they talk about um, just kind of recounting the story of the children of Israel and how they broke their covenant with God and ended up in bondage and God remembered his covenant with them. And then Psalm 107 kind of goes into talking about four different people who um, found themselves in different situations of desperation. Um, Kevin and I have been going through some stuff that's been hard. Decisions for our children. Decisions for our future work, where we live, what we do. God has given us so much here. This church family is one of the greatest blessings that he has given us. But the part that really got me in the psalm this morning was just, as they went over and talked about four different people through their one lost and wandering and, and depravity and um, there's a point where they would cry out to God in their brokenness. 
and God heard them. And his response to them was his steadfast love. That never ceases and is never short. We're always met with love by him. And that when we break and we have those seasons that are hard, just the ability to simply cry out and know that he hears you. I'm really thankful for that. Time for one more. Anyone wants to come up? It's funny how my wife and I got up at the exact same time. Um, I just have a verse from Habakkuk. And um, following what my wife just said, in 3.18 it says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God will make my feet like the deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills. And you know, a lot has gone on for all of us the past couple of years. And uh, sometimes in our weakness, things come out that isn't godly because we're not God. We're not perfect. We have sin. But the thing that I love about that verse, it says, yet I will joy, find joy in the God of my salvation. God is our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. He has saved us. And whether in our strength or in our weakness, it is going to be the same God. So we need to learn from that in times of difficulty that he is our strength. have your Bibles with you, you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, but afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Our holy, merciful God, how can we say, what can we say? But I'm sorry. 
For it is our sinfulness that crucified our Lord. We ask that you be present with us now as we grieve the death of our Lord Jesus. We would ask for comfort, but perhaps what we need is pain. We need to grieve because that is what will lead us to his nail-scarred feet. And while we see that this is Friday, but Sunday's coming, and our hope will be demonstrated at the empty tomb, for now our Savior has died, and we must mourn. We must weep, as he did at the tomb of Lazarus. We give this time to you, O Lord. Teach us from your word in the name of our crucified Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, we've all been to funeral services. Death is a fact of life. In a funeral or memorial service, the one who's died is remembered. And in a Christian service, there is a sermon that usually points to the hope that we have despite having to face our own mortality. But this funeral service is different than any other because this is the one and only case where we can appropriately deliver a biblical gospel sermon about the one we've eulogized. This is because our hope is in the deceased. It is because Jesus died that we have hope that although we are sinners deserving of eternal punishment for our sins, we can be forgiven. And we can go back into the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, and find that Yahweh told about that very hope of our Messiah long before he even showed up on the scene. Isaiah 53 is what many theologians have called a servant song. And it's probably the most easily recognizable passages, or passage rather, about the suffering servant. It's prophetic poetry. It points ahead to the coming of the Jewish Messiah. And we know that the identity of that Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. If we read the passage honestly, it becomes a very difficult passage to read on an emotional level. So let's pick it apart piece by piece. Starts by saying, surely he has borne our griefs. That, that word translated born means to lift or to carry. Jesus' close friend and disciple Peter, Peter uh, said to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That reveals something about the character of the suffering servant, Jesus, because the picture we get from this is like placing a large load on a pack mule. Jesus wants to bear your burdens because what matters to you deeply matters to him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. If you think about the season season leading up to Holy Week, it's a season that begins with repentance. In fact, there are some churches who observe what is called Ash Wednesday. And they do that because Ash represents mourning. And they're supposed to be mourning over their sinfulness. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But this isn't talking about mourning over the loss of a loved one. It's talking about mourning over our sin. 
In fact, the CSB translates Isaiah 53, for yet he bore our sickness and carried our pains. John Calvin said, it is of spiritual disease the prophet intends to speak. So the sinless suffering servant bears the consequences of our sin. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. Some of your translations will say punished. He's the perfect sinless servant. Punished severely for sins he did not commit on behalf of those who have sinned grievously against God without excuse, so that they may be relieved of their punishment. Romans 1, 18 to 20, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And yet, though we are without excuse, while there is no excuse or defense for sin whatsoever, he has taken upon his body the consequences of that sin. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. We esteemed him smitten by God or struck down by God. You see, the Romans were expert executioners. They knew how to make someone suffer as long and as horribly as possible. Death on a cross was a horrible way to go. When, when nails were used, they would likely be in the wrist. That word translated hand describes everything from the fingertips to the elbow. And it would likely um, be put right there and go right through the carpal nerve, causing the hand to cramp up in a bear claw shape, and your body weight would be resting on that nails between the part between the radius and ulta there, which are the two bones of your forearm. And then the feet would be nailed down. But, but none of those wounds are mortal. Crucifixion on a cross was death by suffocation. Because when you're hanging from your arms, that is very difficult to breathe. So the, the one being executed would then pull themselves up to breathe with all the weight on those nails. Eventually the muscles become weak and the arms become dislocated. And you would then use your legs with all the weight on the nail in your feet to push your body up and so that you could take a breath. As the Lord Jesus hung dying in the, under those circumstances on that brutal instrument, the cross. This is what Mark says. It said, he says, when the sixth hour had come, this is Mark 15, 33 through 34, if you wanted to know. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land 
until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The language here echoes the language of exile in the Old Testament. Later in Isaiah 53, it reads, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And I like the way the CSB translates it. It says, Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. It pleased God to exile and strike down his only begotten son. It pleased him because he loves us. And that is how we can be reconciled to him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We esteemed or regarded him as afflicted or miserable. The word has a tone of misery. And then we move to verse 5. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. But, one of my favorite words in the New Testament is but. We esteemed him stricken. We esteemed him smitten by God. We esteemed him afflicted. But he, but he, but he was pierced for our transgressions he bore the judgment for our sins this is how the CSB says it the Christian Standard Bible but he was pierced because of our rebellion when Rembrandt painted one of his famous pieces called the raising of the cross he painted himself into the picture as one of the men crucifying Jesus. Do you get that? Do you, do you get what's going on here? It, it, it wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was me. I nailed Jesus to the cross. His blood is on my hands. And yet... From his place, at the right hand of the Father, he looks down on me with great love and affection. That's what Jesus said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what he did for me. And that is exactly what he did for you who have been called by God, repented of your sins, and become his disciples and followers. There's no greater love possible than the love that he has for you. Because of Jewish law, they couldn't keep a condemned person suffering on Sabbath. And so if they... The, the condemned had not died, the person hanging on the cross being crucified, if they had not died before sundown, the day before Sabbath, they would go and break their legs so that they would suffocate faster as a mercy. And since Jesus had already died, of course, having been brutally beaten before his crucifixion, 
they did not break his legs and said they pierced him through the heart. And it was me who caused that. Because God was pleased to strike down and exile his only begotten son, that blood on my hands is not what condemns me. It's what's made me clean. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Ray Orland said, Jesus substituted himself for us at the cross. It's an important doctrine called imputation. It's where our sins are accounted to him and we are given credit for his perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because we sinned, Jesus died. It's because of me that his blood rolled down that horrible instrument of torture. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Another word for chastisement is discipline. Again, I'll quote the Christian Standard Bible and other translations like it, they use the word punishment. The NRC says it was the punishment that made us whole. We can have peace with God because Jesus took upon himself the consequences of our sin. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did, if we trust God, we have peace with him. This was the plan from the beginning. When Jesus was born, a multitude of angels appeared in Luke 2.14, praising him, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. One commentator said, as a scapegoat or sacrificial lamb, it is the servant's wound that turned their transgressions and iniquities into shalom and healing. John Calvin said, thus the wrath of God which had been justly kindled against us was appeased through the mediator. We have obtained peace by which we are reconciled. We have been reconciled to God through the suffering servant. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Here's what it comes down to. We could not bear the weight of our own sin. 
we could never repay God and be reconciled to him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And if we are dead in our sins, that means we were finished. We were done. Game over. Dead. We could not even ask for help or beg to be made alive. It can only be a sovereign work of God. We are spiritually dead because we were by nature children of wrath. We were the opposite of alive. We could no longer bear the weight of our own sin by any means, but by the suffering of our Savior. The weight of sin is lifted from us and we are healed of our helpless, dead human condition. 2 Peter 2, 4 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So I want to start, begin to close here by looking at the verse that follows our text for tonight. It's Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The section of Isaiah, the way the pronouns like are, we, us, are put with pronouns like he, his, and him, denotes a relationship. It's a kind of relationship like a, sh like a sheep that acknowledges its shepherd. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 23. We'll just read the first verse to start. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Our good shepherd has taken upon himself the punishment for our sins so that although there may be natural consequences in this life, we may be reconciled to God and experience life eternal with him. This evening, will you repent of your sins and confess the 23rd Psalm with us to, as, we, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion. His body, which was broken. His blood, which was poured out for us. Right before Jesus was erected, he gave us the sacred meal to remember him by. Luke 22, 14 to 20 says this, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine of, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If you've repented of your sins and you've placed your trust fully in Jesus Christ, we invite you to come up and partake on your own. Or you can bring the elements back to your family and serve them in your own timing, if you'd like. They're right here. It's one of the rare occasions where we're going to do it kind of self-serve style. I'm going to go down and partake first, and then Clint's going to lead us in a couple of songs. Uh, and during those two songs, reflect and remember what Jesus did for us through your partaking of communion. So during those two songs is when you will partake. I want to invite you to make the 23rd Psalm your confession of faith tonight. Won't you stand up and read it aloud as we read together? This is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Remember and rejoice in your salvation brought by the suffering servant our Lord, Jesus Christ, as he bore our sins on the cross. Let us pray. Our holy God, let us be broken as we receive your sacred supper. Let us grieve over our guilt and sinfulness and the death of our Lord who took that from us. Let us look upon his nail-scarred hands and weep bitterly. Let us be reminded that the new covenant promises his presence with us. That he loves us and went willingly to bear our sins. Forgive us of our sins, O oh God. We are without excuse. We thank you for Jesus, for what he did. Thank you for the cross. We offer our grief over to you now and ask that you would transform us from within that we may be like Jesus. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Bless the Lord upon a tree. See the crown of thorns adorn the King, who labors to breathe in agony. Come, O sinner, come and see what our God became to set us free. Come, O sinner, come and mourn, for he calls your sin his own. Do you feel the weight of justice served? He suffers the wrath that you deserve. Come, O sinner, come and mourn, for he bears the curse for all. awesome scene where our Savior bleeds. Oh, the power of the love of God. Come and stand in dies to save his enemies that all who draw near may know his peace come O sinner come rejoice through the death of Christ death is destroyed and oh the wonder of this awesome scene where our Savior bleeds. Oh, the power of the love of God come and stand in
before the world began above all kingdoms above all thrones above all wonders the world has ever known above all wealth and treasures of there's no way to measure what you're crucified, laid behind the stone. You live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose. Trampled on the ground You took the fall And thought of me Above all Above all powers Above all kings Above all nature And all creation Of all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known. Of all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're crucified, laid behind the stone. You live to die, rejected and like a rose trampled on the ground he took the fall and thought of me above all would you guys stand with us would you extend your hands with me and let's Head out of here with a blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He must increase. We must decrease. Amen. You guys are dismissed.